stand clear of the closing doors, please. In a Brooklyn fractured into speculative storyscapes, you never know what could be lurking around the corner. Fantasy, horror, sci-fi, or the just plain weird. Join Professor Brad Overstreet, Senior Junior Lecturer Sam Spellingbaum, Professor Emeritus Calliope DeGamowitz, and Inquisitor James Earl King II as they discover the stories drifting in and out of your reality. Ooh, what's this? A story. A new story. Perfect. Seven Standpoints from Which to Defend Your Sandwich from Hungry Aliens by D.T. Friedman. Yes, I'll read it. Physiological. In your strange stomach, this delicious pastrami may well be poison. Cultural. If I share with you, you must then share in return. I don't want any. Judgmental. Thousands of light years and you didn't pack a lunch? Plan your trips better. Psychological. Like feeding a duck, the dangers of imprinting concern me deeply. Anatomical. How do you propose to partake of my small lunch when you have no mouth? Physical. This would stay in you. Leaving with it would alter the mass of my world. Juvenile. You must have been told human spit is full of germs. I licked my sandwich. The end. That was lovely. Now, if I can just find that grimoire, plus yesterday's Danish. Ah, here it is. This incredibly obscure and arcane vellum, which I bought off that crook king for too much money, says that when the stars and comets and planets line up, a rip in the universe as we know it will appear spilling all kinds of narrative crap and creating imagistic chaos throughout Brooklyn. We will all get sucked into a vortex of mixed metaphors and bad punctuation never to be heard from again. Hmm. I certainly don't want to get sucked into anything beginning with the letter V. This didn't start until Sam, spelling something, showed up and took Overstreet out for brunch. Those two are cooking something up, or maybe not. Maybe that Sam is a good guy and is plotting to destroy Overstreet, who is probably responsible for the rip in time and space. Or the other way around. I'm going to pin those two nuddicks down. Where's that Danish? Ah, here it is. What the hell? The room is getting wavy like a flashback or a future jump. It's sparkly like a planetarium. It's a crazy quilt of patchwork Venn diagrams. Oh no, my metaphors are mixing. I see an infinite number of myself receding into the distance. <laughs> Overstreet, is this 
is your fault, you crazy philologist. I'm gonna get you fired, tenure be damned. Oh no, it's vacuuming me very voraciously into another veracity. Something to hold on to. Wait, here's a story firmly rooted in another culture. Grandma and Calliope. The Emperor Mantis by Essaway Chalim. Narrated by Lauren Harris. The internment hive atop Mount Soten was said to be the most well-guarded prison complex in all the Isles. Inescapable, many claimed. As of three months ago, that last bit was untrue, but Nasako understood the need to keep up appearances. Besides, the internment hive came pretty damn close to being the perfect prison. So, it was with a harrowing trepidation that Nasako approached the mountain. Her gut churned, but she had done all her vomiting hours earlier, when Mount Soten first came into sight. Now, standing before the scarab guards, she knew there was no going back. Getting in was fairly simple, but with the emperor at her side, Nasako expected nothing less. The scarab guards stood watch at the mountain's entrance— they were fully morphed, eight-foot hulks covered head to tarsus in gleaming rows of chitin, poised like stiff, immovable titans. Yet they scrambled to make way for Emperor Mantis Sakyo Munsura. Their odd eyes stuck to him, paying Nasako no mind as she trailed behind the Emperor. Nasako and the Emperor waited while one of the guards ran to notify a superior. A man came to greet them shortly after. "'My lord,' he said through brief gasps, immediately prostrating himself before the emperor. Nasako studied the man. He was tall and wiry, his military silks wrapped tightly over his half-morphed body. His chest, forearms, and shoulders were plated in black-yellow chitin. A hornet, most likely. "'It is an honor.' "'I mean no disrespect, but why have you deigned to come here?' The emperor cleared his throat. Are you Major Domo Hornet Irizantolo? When the man nodded, the emperor continued. Consider this an inspection, Irizan. I want to see for myself that the containment of the ants is secure. Irizan looked flustered, the antenna on his brow twitching in his nervousness. My lord, I... His lips struggled for the right words. Such a task is so unbecoming of you. Why come all this way? Will you stand there and hide the fact that this hive was compromised months ago? Nasako asked. Irizan jumped. How did you know that? His stare was hard, his eyes questioning and insolent. Who was this woman, all covered up in her plain commoner silks, to speak to him like that? What matters is that I know, the emperor interjected. This prison is not as unescapable as I had been led to believe. Irizan dipped his head respectfully. Please, my lord, it was one aunt, a fluke. It has never happened before, nor will it again. 
Nonetheless, I would like to have a look at the hive with my own eyes. The Emperor's tone warned against any further debate on the matter. Irizen nodded. Of course, my lord. The hornet man looked to Nasako one more time. I did not get your name. No, you didn't. Irizen's antenna flickered in irritation, but he did not press her. If you will both come with me. He turned and walked ahead. Nasako glanced at the emperor. You're sweating, she whispered warningly. The emperor tensed and quickly patted his forehead and antenna with his sleeve before following the major domo up the mountain. Nasako followed, trying not to scratch at the scarred tissue on her right shoulder. The ant brand, the mark seared on her flesh years ago when she was first taken up this mountain to the internment hive and cast into the pit. Now, walking up the mountain once again, the brand ached, as though warning her against her actions. You had gotten out. You were free, it seemed to say. Or at least, that was how Nasako interpreted the pain. But there are more important things than my freedom, Nasako said to herself. As she returned to her former prison, she held on to that thought with all of her conviction to keep the resurfacing trauma from swallowing her whole. There was no going back. Lady, what are you? asked a hornet sentinel to Nasako. His expression was the usual brew of open bemusement. Nasako ignored him, instead looking at Irizan and the emperor on the other side of the pit, careful not to stare down into the chasm below. The internment hive, with its guard towers and other structures, were built along Mount Soten's rim like a crown on a head. In the center of the summit was a deep, man-made pit. It was at least a thousand feet deep and several hundred feet wide, a hole where hundreds of ants were condemned to live. Nasako's nausea resurfaced, twice as potent as before. A locust, perhaps? No, you look like a mosquito woman. Well, tell me. The hornet sentinel tapped his foot at the demand, the antenna on his forehead rustling in irritation. His job of imposing control on others made him feel entitled. Nasako's nostrils flared, her nausea momentarily dampened by the surge of hatred. Her eyes met the sentinels, cold and defiant. Stop bothering her, Onaz. She came with the emperor. You don't know who she might be, said another hornet nearby. Several sentinels were stationed around the small stretch of land between the buildings on the rim of the mountain and the pit. They were the first line of intervention should an ant ever try to escape. Look at her clothes, Nanka. She is just some servant. Pretty, though. Onaz said, eyeing her with an interest that further inflamed Nasako. Come on, Nanka. Can you tell what she is? Nanka paused and leered at Nasako, looking equally as puzzled as her comrade. The hornet's eyes scanned for any subtle distinguishing features of the clans inhabiting the Isle of Antaclo, but could not find any. 
Sure, Nausicaa had the brown skin and epicanthic fold that most people on all the aisles shared, but the similarity ended there. She did not have the broad, jagged antennae of a beetle, nor the red eyes of a fly, nor the slight traces of black-yellow pigmentation of a hornet or bee. And she was nowhere near tall enough to be a mantis, so she could not be related to the emperor. Nasako's face was plain and unmorphed, and she was dressed in large, loose silks that covered almost all her body. So Sentinel Nanka couldn't look for any physical markers there. And yet, Nanka squinted, as if she had discerned something, or at least was close to. Nasako grew very still. The ant brand started to itch. The Emperor is coming back! Onaz hissed to Nanka, and they both forgot Nasako and returned to their stiff, militant stances. Nasako relaxed, unmorphing her long, chitinous claws back to regular nails inside her sleeve. Irizan and the Emperor had finished their loop around the rim of the pit. Emperor had his hands folded behind his back, silently listening to the hornet as he spoke. Nasako caught bits of the conversation as they approached. The walls of the pit are periodically layered in wax. Should any ant find the strength to climb, the reduced friction will hinder their ascent for long enough for one of the sentinels here, he gestured to Onaz and Nanka, to intervene. Not that many even care to try. They know it is pointless. Never underestimate the ants, the emperor said. The Antaklo War lasted twenty years because we took them lightly. In the end, we only won because we outnumbered them five to one. Irizan nodded deferentially. I hear that even today, ten years later, small pockets of ants are found hiding throughout this island. They are tenacious, if nothing else. It was our land first. Nasako fought the rage and reined in the thought before it reached her lips. Instead, she asked, Did you expect them to just give it up willingly? Even her most civil tone couldn't quite mask all the disdain, but it would have to do. Irizan shrugged. They should have obeyed the will of the Mantidae dynasty, like the rest of us. The bees, mosquitoes, and beetles did not contest the dynasty's claim on their islands. We hornets were the first to submit, and were rewarded for it. Only the spiders and ants denied the will of our lords. Look what happened to them. One enslaved, the other extinct. Nausicaa noticed that the emperor's hands, still clasped behind his back and out of view to everyone but her, were trembling. Anyways, Majordomo Irizan turned back to the Emperor. As you know, the Deoxidric has been the most effective weapon against the ants. Now, that vent over there... Irizan directed their attention down into the bottom of the pit. It was shrouded in a purple haze. After a moment, the eyes would make out the shapes of the hundreds of prisoners lost and suffering within the haze. Nasako quickly averted her gaze. Instead, she looked to where Irizan pointed. A cylindrical vent, about twenty feet in circumference, jutted out from the side of the pit. 
From its gridded face streamed the noxious purple gas that saturated the pit's depths. We made a network of pipes connected from the supply mound to the control mound, then running through Mount Soten and ending right here. The poison is diluted, of course, to keep their bodies weak and unable to fully morph. We owe your wife a great debt, my lord, Irizan said, eyes alight with reverence. Had she not figured out how to chemically aerosolize the liquid poison, none of this would have been possible. She even made the gas denser than air so that it would remain inside the pit. It would have been an honor to have met her today. She is preoccupied, the emperor answered quickly. How did an ant escape all of this? Irizan frowned. The ant escaped right after having developed wings. Dioxidric gas keeps them too weak to fly, but we suspect that the escapee had some sort of resistance to the poison. But we take this failure seriously, my lord. We have made changes to assure that it never happens again. Irizan gestured at Nanka to approach. They had a brief exchange of whispers before Nanka gave a sharp nod and walked over to the pit's precipice. She stripped off her clothes and began to morph. Nasako had never seen the process up close like this. It sent a cold shiver down her spine, seeing the hornet shake and convulse as her insect physiology enveloped her human frame. Plates of black-yellow chitin grew over her brown skin. Her antenna grew more pronounced, eyes swelled out, nearly doubling in size, a black, glossy coat stretching from each iris to cover the entire eyeball. Two small mounds of chitin surfaced from her back and cracked open, each unfurled an eight-foot-long span of wings. Nanka placed an air-filter mask over her mouth and jumped off the edge, wings buzzing in flight as she swooped down. That buzzing sound made Nasako cringe. Her entire body started to crawl as she recalled in all times she heard the specific buzz, all the times she'd look up and see those creatures descending to claim one of them. All the times she was thankful it wasn't her. Nasako bit the inside of her mouth, hoping for the pain and discomfort to ease her dizziness. First, we increased the deoxidric gas content. There has been a reported death or two since then, but those were old ants. They were beyond reproductive age, and we had long since harvested their wings. The second precaution, well, it would be better to show you, Irizan said. Below, echoes of screams and complaint rose to reach them. Nasako could not make out words, but the collective despair was clear. Nasako clenched her jaw, steeling herself against the cries. A few minutes later, the hornet Nanka burst out from the sea of purple gas, carrying a thin figure. Ah, at last! Irizan sounded delight as Nanka dropped a young ant right before him. The ant thrashed around, disoriented. Her eyes were bleached in fear. She wore scraps of filthy silk, the ant brand on her arm visible. The scarred flesh took up a good third of her arm. 
The aunt was on the cusp of adulthood, perhaps twenty years of age or so. The internment hive program had begun about ten years ago, so depending on when she had been captured, she might have spent half of her life in there. She yelled, Somebody help! Someone! But Nanka grabbed her by the hair, rammed her face into the ground, and pressed her knee onto her back. Still, the nameless aunt struggled. Her muffled screams did not stop. Even with the hornet sentinel's full weight on her, she slowly rose. Her lungs were clear of the debilitating gas, and ants were known for their unrivaled physical strength. Even unmorphed, she pushed against Nanka with all the strength her recovering muscles could lend her, and she was putting up a fight. Irizan chuckled. He held out his hand. In seconds, chitinous plates covered it. The surface of his palm split open as a long black stinger slid out. Nasako forced down a shriek as Irizan plunged the barb into the ant's shoulder. The ant froze. Her cries of resistance immediately died. Instead, her entire body twitched in place. Her mouth was wide open from an agony too intense to articulate. Irizan gestured for Nanka to take her away. Some are less compliant than others. As I was saying, the second precaution. His tone was bright and casual. The convulsing ant below him might as well have been a pile of dirt. We cut off wings before they can fully develop. The quality of the membrane is still good, there's just a little less of it. But we have such a surplus of wings that the prices are still good and the traders are not complaining. But we know how important the product is to the economy, so we have increased our focus on the breeding program to keep up with the expected rise in demand. Nanka dragged the paralyzed, nameless ant away by her leg towards a building adjacent to their internment hive's command mound. Irizan pointed to it. That there is the harvest facility. Ants are bound and coerced into morphing so we can collect their wings. We bind them in... Nasako had stopped listening. Claws grew from her nails. She'd kill them. She didn't care. She'd kill them all and break that ant out, and then... And then... Nasako's eyes went back to the pit. They lingered there long enough to see past the veil of deoxidric gas shrouding the bottom. There were hundreds of them, all packed together in the confined stretch of space down in the pit. They were almost on top of one another. Fights would have broken out amongst them if they were not so frail and not so damn tired. They were constantly shifting around one another in slow, disoriented motions, seeking a comfortable position that they would never find. From above, they looked like one organism, twisting and straining as if every cell was in unending pain. Overwhelming nausea brought Nasako to her knees. She gasped, trying to shake off the dizziness and force her reluctant lungs to resume breathing. Her hands reverted to their human shape. She couldn't lose herself now. She had prepared for months. Throwing it all away in a fit of rage would doom her and all the ants she sought to save. And yet, hatred sat in her stomach like a hot coal, painful and irritating. 
but she could deal with that. It had always been there. It was her fuel. Her motivation for coming back to this cursed hive. She couldn't enjoy her freedom, knowing that her people were being treated like this. The trick was not letting it overwhelm her, like it almost just had. Irizan and the Emperor were looking at her. Why did they look so blurry? Nasako wiped her face, drying off her tears. The Emperor bent down, reaching out a hand to help her up. Nasako smacked his hand away, out of reflex. She lifted herself up, still trying to breathe properly. Nasako saw the confusion and blooming rage on Irizan's face. Who was she to harm the Emperor of the Isles? He looked ready to attack her, but the Emperor shook his head. Pay no mind to her behavior. She is unaccustomed to such violence. Let us continue. Reluctance tugged at Irizan's face, his obedience to the dynasty warring with his imperative to defend the dynasty's honor. But he bowed his head to the emperor. Of course, he said. What else would you like to see, my lord? Take us to the control mound, Nausicaa answered for the emperor, taking the majordomo by surprise. Irizan threw a hateful look to Nasako, but the emperor repeated her answer, so he could only dip his head and lead the way. The command mound was the largest complex on the mountain, a yellow dome-shaped building with honeycomb cells patterning the ceiling. There were several open chambers in which bees and hornets worked, etching reports on bark paper waxing chains clean, and stacking shackles, and a number of things Nasako did not understand. One compartment stole Nasako's attention. It looked like a smithy, dark and foul, with the smell of burning metals. A team of bees held out a long, six-foot-long ant wing. They passed a hot iron rod along dead veins, loosening the wing's rigid constitution. Then they hammered the membrane until the entire wing folded in on itself. The bees sanded down the crumbled wing, giving it an extra shine. They inspected it, and, finding the product acceptable, placed it in a container full of dozens more. In days, months, maybe years from now, those refined pieces of stolen body parts would be exchanged by several commercial hands to end up worn around neck or wrist or finger, ogled and admired. Nasako bit down inside her mouth again, letting the pain distract her. Irizan walked them by another compartment that contained two large pipes coming out of the wall and angling down into the ground. A lone bee stood guard beside the pipes, looking bored. What is this? Nausicaa asked, walking towards the chamber so that the emperor would as well. Irizan hurried inside. The bee guarding the chambers, stunned at the sight of the emperor, quickly prostrated himself before Irizan waved him away. This is the central pipe that leads down to the pit. The deoxidric gas is created and dispensed into the pipes from the supply mound. Here, we monitor and control the volume of the gas released. We have runners that go back and forth to relay any changes. Irizan paused, frowning at the emperor. My lord, forgive me, but you look unwell. 
You are shaking. The emperor shook his head firmly. No, no, he stammered. Sweat glistened on his brow. How do you control the gas from here? Nausicaa asked. Irizan pointed to a metal ring jutting from the pipe. This valve controls a plug inside the pipe that obstructs or frees the gas flow depending on how you turn it. And this second pipe here? What does it do? That is the exit pipe, also connected to the pit leading out to the side of the mountain. There must always be an open, continuous passage for the deoxidric to remain constant. Otherwise the gas would fill up the entire pit and spill over into here, Nasako concluded. Nasako turned to the emperor, her eyes speaking a request. The emperor spoke with trembling lips. And so, should the deoxidric pipe be closed, all the poison would flow out of the pit? Irizan scowled, confused. Well, yes, but that should not be cause for concern. No one here would do such a thing. What way must I turn the valve to fully open the poison pipe? The emperor asked. To the right. Why are you so interested in this? The emperor hung his head, trying to hide his tears, just as Nasako blew out a sigh. My lord? Irizan asked in a gasp, too preoccupied with his liege in distress, to notice the subtle signs of Nasako morphing. Nasako raced past Irizan to the valve, turning it completely to the left. What are you doing? Irizan roared, rushing for her. Nasako broke the valve off the pipe and hurled it at Irizan. It struck the major domo on his head, knocking him off his feet. Blood ran from his temple, obscuring half his face in red. You've closed the valve! What are you doing? He sputtered the words, too disoriented to rise. Nasako tore off her clothing as her body morphed, her shoulder exposed before the flesh disappeared under plates of black chitin. Irizan's unbloodied eye widened as he saw the ant brand on her skin. It did not help that Nasako unfurled her set of full wings right before him. You, Irizan said, shuffling backwards. The commotion drew eyes to the chamber. They froze, noticing Nasako. Before transforming, her human eyes took one last look at their shocked expression. Then her vision dimmed, replaced with the sensory paradigms of her antennae. Everything became micro-vibrations and amalgams of chemicals dancing in the air. She could taste the emperor's tears as they fell. She felt the tremors of the entire mound mobilizing to surround her. She saw them as a massive cloud of pheromones charged with aggression and fear. But something else piqued her senses. Something farther away, down in the pit a clearing of the noxious gas, and a rising, restless energy amidst the forsaken masses. You have more than me to worry about, Nasako declared. Outside, warning horns blared from the guard towers. The people in the control mound froze, turning to the sound. The fear that hung around them blossomed. 
Nasako saw her chance. She caught hold of the Emperor's arm, her grip so strong in her morphed state that she crushed his bone and took flight. She burst through the ceiling of the mound and rose higher, ignoring the Emperor's pleas. Nasako hovered above the pit. Below, the deoxidric gas was nearly gone. Blessed with fresh air to breathe, the ants began their ascent. The pit's walls were waxed, and some slid off, but they were determined. The strong ones punched holes into the stone for purchase as they climbed higher. Others followed the path with instinctual ease, the chemical trail so clear even an unmorphed ant could detect it. They surged like a dark tide of retribution, flowing up and out of the confines made to subdue them. Still hanging in her grasp, the Emperor whimpered. Look at them! Look! Nasako shouted to him. This is what you brought on yourself the day you claimed our island. You took our lands, our lives. You exploited our bodies to fuel your economy, cutting our wings and selling them as exotic jewelry. The emperor winced. But please, mercy. Nasako's tone was ice. I spent six years down there before I escaped. Give me those years back, and I'll give you mercy. Please, tell me where my wife is. You said you wouldn't let her go if I did all that you wanted. Your wife? The person who designed that poison just for us? Nasako laughed. You think I kept her alive? Nasako felt the glint of hope drained from the emperor his cloudy form replaced with a hue of despair that, however deep and genuine, did not even faze her. Nasako had lived in a sea of despair. She had seen its vastness the day she flew out of the pit, chancing a look back to see those left behind. They all looked up at her, longingly, convinced that she would abandon them. That was more painful than years of inhaling poison. Nasako had sworn two things that day, the first and foremost being to return and free her colony, the second to get revenge on the Mantidae dynasty. Nasako grabbed the Emperor Mantis with both arms and hurled him down into the pit. His cloudy shape left a trail of fear as he plummeted hundreds of feet, flailing and screaming. Only halfway down did it occur to him to morph but it was too late. He couldn't get his green chitin to fully armor his body, nor his wings to fully unfurl from his back. Nasako's antennae registered the fatal crunch of his bones when he landed. Nasako watched from above as the freed ants swarmed the internment hive. Most of them had fully morphed, and there were far too many of them for the hornets, bees, and scarabs combined to stand a chance. Nasako turned from the ongoing carnage. She had one more thing to do. She focused on a particular scent, one that she made sure to pick up before all of this. Nasako caught it in moments. That trail was distinct from all the other ants, more laced with fear and uncertainty. Nasako angled and dove towards the harvest mound. Her morphed senses let her perceive the scene inside before she entered. Three bees in total, half morphed. 
She broke through the ceiling, landing atop a bee with such force that his chitin plate collapsed into his chest. The two remaining bees in the building buzzed in fear, trying to fly away, but Nasako was faster. Neither of them escaped. Hands covered in hemolymph, Nasako unmorphed and approached the ant in chains. The ant looked up at Nasako, her body exuding trails of confusion and motes of hope, but neither overpowered the waves of agony rolling out from her. Nasako was too late. She broke the chains, and the young woman fell into her arms, too weak to stand. Suddenly, Nasako felt the young woman's body shaking. Her back was stained with dried blood, stemming from a badly cauterized cut beneath each shoulder blade. I'm so sorry, was all Nasako could say, her face flooding with tears. The young woman wept, gripping Nasako tighter. What's your name? Nasako asked. Alien, she said through sobs. Alien, Nasako whispered to her. I promise no one will hurt you again. We're all free now. Alihan gasped, her antennae twitching as she felt what transpired outside. She gave a tearful sigh of relief, looking at Nasako as though seeing her for the first time. You're that ant, the one who flew away. Before Nasako could even reply, Alihan sank her face back into her savior's chest, sobbing and thanking her simultaneously. Nasako could find no words. Alihan could have easily been her. Had it not been for some accident of genes, a simple resistance to deoxidric, Nasako would have remained in the pit, doomed to be mutilated inside this building. As the freed ants slayed their captors, leveled and set their structures aflame, stormed down Mount Soten to reap a long-belated vengeance on the invaders that stole their homeland, Nasako kept her arms around Alihan, resolved to remain there until the girl's tears had run dry. SOA Chalim is a writer of speculative fiction short stories and novels. He graduated from Brooklyn College, where he studied concepts of the soul and rituals of power from the ancient Mediterranean. He currently works at Droga 5, where he assists in producing TV commercials. When he is not writing or working, he is reading manga or trying to convince his friends to watch his favorite television shows. You can find him on Twitter at E-T-C-H-A-L-I-M or his blog inkbuccaneer.wordpress.com where he talks about politics. Lauren Harris is an author, narrator, and podcaster from Raleigh, North Carolina. She is also an assistant editor at Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show. To find out more about Lauren, visit www.laurenbharris.com. Phew, that was close. Thank the muses. Now it's curtains for Overstreet and Spelling Pound. 
D.T. Friedman lives in Brooklyn with her cat, Kimball. This episode of Clydecast Season 2 was brought to you by our Kickstarter supporters, Ivy Spadil, Marcus Tong, Chris Couture, Rick Panaman, Raquel Gutierrez, and Evan Burkhaus. Thank you for listening to The Kaleidocast, a production of the Brooklyn Speculative Fiction Writers, who can be found at bsfwriters.com. Your hosts are Marcy Arlen as Clyde P. Degamowitz, Bradley Robert Parks as Brad Overstreet, Cameron Roberson as James Earl King II, and Sam Schreiber as Sam Spellingbound. Your editors and producers are Marcy Arlen who's also our director, Bradley Robert Parks, Jessica Plumley, who provides additional vocals, Cameron Roberson, managing editor, and Sam Schreiber, our story runner. Our music is Delusion of the Fury, Act 2, Treats with Life and with Life Despite Life, Arrest, Trial, and Judgment, Joy in the Marketplace, by Harry Parch, used by permission of Innova Recordings and the Harry Parch Foundation. Our intro was produced by sound engineer Matt Mozzarella. This podcast uses many sound effects from YouTube, freesound.org, and from FreeSFX at freesfx.co.uk. See our website for a full list of sounds from each episode. Special thanks go out to Marcus Song, Daniel Stalter, Margot Atwell at Kickstarter, C.S.E. Cooney, Carlos Hernandez, Fran Wilde, and Cat Valente. The Kaleidocast and all its contents are protected by a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can share it all you want, but don't sell it or change it, and give credit to the Kaleidocast and its authors. If you like what you hear, please leave a review on iTunes or go to our website at kaleidocast.nyc to comment on what you've heard here and to find links to all our contributors. <laughs>